Good morning, y'all. Um, before I get too far into this, I want to say thank you to some uh, people, everybody who's made that out there happen. Because if you saw how decorative and awesome that stuff looks, you knew in your heart that wasn't me. And that's okay. Um, Stephanie Lee, a whole team of people have worked super hard to make that happen. So guys, thank y'all very, very much. I want you to indulge me for just a, just a split second. I want you to all uh, put on uh, maybe your caps of empathy. I want you to think about how you would feel in these situations. And this is something that we're going to continue through this, uh, through this whole sermon. <clears throat> but for a second, I'm going to open up with a story. It's New York. It's the Roaring Twenties. Some of you were there. <laughs> Gary told me to say that. It's New York. It's the Roaring Twenties, the height of the Roaring Twenties, the city that doesn't sleep. And there's some noisy reporters in a room that's close, and they just won't let a good poker game die. They keep you up all night, and then and a late night turns into an early morning, and the sun comes up, and you realize you've had no rest. And you've got to go do this. Because last week you were supposed to do this, but it was cloudy, kind of like today. Nobody wants to do much when it's cloudy. And especially nobody wants to fly a plane when it's cloudy. The clouds start to part, and the sun comes out, and you know this is your opportunity. This is your time. You have to jump on it. It's now or it may be never. So you get out of bed, and you forget those reporters. They're no longer your problem. And as you're going to the airport, you think the six men that have tried to do this and have failed, the six men who have perished trying to do this, and the countless others that were too scared to even think about it. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'm either number seven or I'm number one. So to say that Charles Lindbergh had a lot on his mind would be an understatement as he climbed into the cockpit of his uh, Spirit of St. Louis in 1927, and it was exactly 96 years and one day ago. He took off from Roosevelt Field in New York, and he set out for Paris, France. Uh, to say it was a harrowing flight would be an understatement. He was not very long into it before he got so tired that he had to drop down and he had to be really close to the waters. He's flying over the Atlantic on a trip nobody's taken. He, he was so tired, he was hallucinating that he saw ghosts in the plane with him. At some point, he had to hold his own eyelids open just so he wouldn't fall asleep. After 55 hours awake, how many of y'all have ever stayed up for 55 hours? Nobody. That's crazy. Crazy enough to fly a plane over the Atlantic by himself. 55 hours awake and 33 and a half hours in the air. Lindbergh touches down in Paris, the first to ever successfully complete the solo nonstop transatlantic flight. This was a feat that was so monumental in the world of aviation that it ushered in something that is known as the Lindbergh boom. It took aviation from a really cool thing that had some applications to a world-changing industry. So the spirit of St. Louis is still around today, almost 100 years later. It hangs in the Smithsonian. I went up there and got to see it. It hangs in the Smithsonian because it's important, because it is a significant piece of history. And it hangs in there because it's monumental. It is the monument. So graduating high school is monumental. And, and while... I very much hope it was not as harrowing as flying a plane across the Atlantic. Um, math is hard, guys. Math and English. If it wasn't for that, I'd have been a good student. I hope it wasn't as harrowing as piloting across the Atlantic 
But this is time to be proud of what you've done because you've done it. <laughs> Graduating high school, it's a big thing. And while, yes, I am speaking to high school graduates, I'm not just speaking to high school graduates. This, thank goodness that God's word is, is for everybody and not just 18-year-olds. So this is a time to look back. It's time to look back in life because your life changes in a monumental way from, from this moment on. From the time you walk off of that stage, your life changes in a monumental way. Everything you've done has led to this point. All the games, the practices, all the clubs that you're a part of, the classes, the work that you did do, the work that you didn't do. Everything has led to this moment. Um, so do y'all remember y'all's high school graduation? Okay, yeah. Um, some of y'all might, some of y'all don't. I remember mine. It was, it was 10 years ago, and I know that, I know, thanks, Darcy, for that. Um, cool. We'll talk later. Mine was terrible. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. Um, I went to a small private Christian high school. I graduated with 27 other people. My graduation lasted four hours. If you ask Mary Beth, it lasted seven, and it gets longer every day. My graduation lasted so long that I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it to college. Simply, I'll just be here. Mine was terrible. Because I don't know if, if y'all remember what, what it felt like to graduate high school. You remember sitting in the auditorium, sitting on the football field, sitting wherever you were in the most uncomfortable chair every time. Nobody wants to hear a two-hour math lecture from the speaker. But I did. That's what we got. It was, uh, it was not great. I remember sitting there and just thinking, like, I don't, this just needs to end. If they, I didn't have full faith that they had already given us our diplomas or I would have just taken my chances. All right, but this is a time, it's time to take a huge step forward in life. Whether you're going to college, whether you're getting a job, whether you're, whatever. This is a huge step forward in life because you're about to step into a place that you have never been. Maybe physically you've been on the campus, physically you've been at the job, physically you've done this, but you've never done it as a high school graduate. So uh, I try to think about all the emotions that I felt when I was in high school, when I was graduating high school. Again, uh, during the commencement speech, it was a lot of rage and anger and just impatience. That's what that was. But after it, I remember being excited. Man, I can't wait for what's next. And I remember being nervous. I have no idea what's next. I remember thinking like, man, these college classes are going to be awesome. Oh man, I still have some at 8 a.m. I'm going to be able to skip class. Don't, guys, don't. Don't. The wide range of emotions that you feel in the short, the short time frame that you feel them all. Sometimes it feels like you feel them all at the same time. So as you think about the emotions that you felt graduating high school, uh, take that into our story today. Because we're going to be talking about Joshua and how he led the people into the promised land. So let's think about it. He's replacing Moses. This is right after he replaces Moses, leading the, leading the Israelites. Moses has led them through the promised land, through the wild, or to the promised land, through the wilderness, out of Egypt. He's led them. And they always listen perfectly. If we know anything about, about them, they always listen perfectly. So Joshua's seen this, and he knows that he is stepping in to massive shoes. And not only is he just stepping into massive shoes, he's having to lead people into the unknown, into the promised land, the place that they've never been. All they know about it is that it is full of hostile people. 
people that do not want them, people that are lining up to kick them out. So Joshua's leading, and it starts off with a bang. And God tells Joshua, uh, as they're standing, as they're coming up to the Jordan, Joshua, uh, God tells Joshua, And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing, downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during the harvest. So, pause. Time out. I want you to think, just think about that. The Jordan is powerful by itself. And it's in flood stage. It is wider. It is deeper. It is more powerful. It is louder. It is carrying so much water. This is literally a force of nature. So much so that it stops the whole camp in its tracks. Nobody would even think to try to wade it, to try to get across it, to try to swim it. Nobody's even thinking that. And they come up to it and think about just the power. How, how water, when it moves, it cuts through the earth. It creates paths. When things are in water's way, water rarely loses. It'll take building, cars, roads, everything. Guys, if we've seen anything this, this year, we've seen what water can do <laughs> with how much rain and everything. So when I think of this, though, the first, the big word that comes into my mind is furious. How furious this water is running. Actually, in studying for this, I, I, I Googled very officially, just what is the Jordan like at flood stage? And the sound of rushing water. There's rapids, there's little waterfalls. It's crazy. The noise. Resume. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge and the water from upstream stopped flowing. So as I said, I think of the the ferocity, that's the word, ferocity of the water flowing how fast it's not stopping, it's not changing, it's not moving, and then all of a sudden, nothing. You hear it trickle down downstream, and then just the quiet, almost the eerie quietness of the Jordan being stopped. So that ferocity is replaced with calmness, that sense of ease almost. What was just, you could not ever get through, you had no chance of getting through. Now, it might as well be a highway. So God again speaks to Joshua. He says, go over before the ark of the Lord, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So they take the 12 stones from the dry riverbed. They carry them over. And Joshua then takes time to build a little monument. I say a little monument. We have no idea. He takes time to build a monument. So my first thought when I was reading this, um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a little bit... um, of a smart aleck. I don't know. I, don't, I was trying to think of a better way to say that. I'm pretty sarcastic. Um, so, so when I read that, I was thinking, why, why build a monument? That's, that was one of the first questions. Why build a monument? Not like that's not cool, because that's arguably one of the coolest things that's ever happened. 
But why build a monument? Because I, I'm terrible at taking pictures. When, whenever we go somewhere, I don't take the pictures. Because in my mind, I'm not going to forget what happened. Steel trap. Never forget anything. Just don't ask me about it. But why build a monument? Like, who's going to forget? If you're going to, if you're in Atlanta and you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic and all of a sudden the lane of traffic just splits and you have a straight shot to where you're going, you're not forgetting that. That's never going to leave your mind. And then every time you're in traffic, you're like, oh, come on. (laughs) Why build a monument? And we're told they build it to serve as a reminder. The monument is a reminder to look back and thank God. So future generations can look back and thank God. When I look back, I am reminded to thank God. So what reminders do you have in life? What reminders do you have? Do you have a t-shirt? Do you have that airbrush t-shirt from spring break with your best friend and y'all have matching? Yeah, we all have those. They're good. Top of the closet, wear it every day. Maybe, and this is much more applicable to my life, maybe it's a stain on that t-shirt. <laughs> maybe it's a stain that you look down and you think, man, I hate that I ruined this shirt, but them wings were good. Maybe you have a scar, a scar that serves as a reminder. I've got a scar on my right knee that tells me not to play basketball with Tommy Irby on a gravel driveway. I've got a scar on my left leg that says, get the staph infection dealt with before it gets too bad. And I've got a C on my thumb from the day before we got married. When the door was jammed, I thought, I can do this. And I did it. But just a little pinch, and that scar reminds me not only to not do that, but it reminds me of all the people who jumped in and helped, helped to make sure that this didn't get worse. What reminders do you have? One of, the, one of my most important reminders that I try to carry around every day, I take it wherever I can, is this little pocket knife. Because this little pocket knife, it, it reminds me of who I want to be. It reminds me of the man that I want to be. Because one day I looked around, and, and the people in my life that I wanted to be like, the men that were leading their families well, that were loving the Lord, that were following him, that were always ready to jump in and serve, most of them carried around a simple little pocket knife. So who do you want to be? High school graduates, elementary schoolers, everybody. Who do you want to be? Because God has brought you to this time. God has brought you to this time, and he's brought you to this place. Every road is different. Praise God. Every road is different. But we all have plenty to be thankful for. Above all, we need to be thankful for God's faithfulness. They build this monument. Because they're thankful that God did not leave them on the banks. Two times. God didn't leave them on the banks. He's not going to leave us. So, again, as I said, we're tapping into some empathy. Let's go back to the people. Back to the Israelites. The people in the camp. The people that have wandered for 40 years. Who have heard their grandparents and parents tell them about this magical place called the promised land that God has for them. They have built it up. Imagine the awe. They can see it. And when the Jordan split, it's no longer just a vision. They can feel it. They can get there. Imagine the awe. 
They've, they've been a people. They've been a people for a long time. And now they finally have a place. A place to settle. A place to be. Imagine the relief. Imagine the comfort. Imagine the joy. No more wandering. No more wondering what tomorrow is going to look like. Where are we going to be tomorrow? No more wandering. And now put yourself in Joshua's shoes. Little different shoes. You're leading these people. You are in charge of this group of people. You are going into uncharted, hostile lands. And you're responsible for people. Uh, When I thought of this, I thought of, as a person, the sense of awe that this is amazing. And when I thought of Joshua, I got very nervous. That sense of awe. It's like when you get your first paycheck and you see how much federal taxes actually are. Going from that sense of awe to awe. So as the people step into the promised land, everyone has to be asking the same question. It's the same question that I asked as soon as I got my diploma. And I walked down. It was a stage. It was a little bigger than this. And it had stairs on that side and stairs on that side. Walk up those stairs. Shake with your right hand. Grab your diploma with your left hand. Take a picture. Walk down the stage. Don't do anything stupid. Just walk down the stage. Kid year before us tried to do a backflip off the stage and didn't land it. Very clear. Don't do anything stupid. Just walk off the stage. Down the stairs. That was the clarifier that they had to give us. Mainly just me and my friends. Walk down the stairs. And so the whole time I'm thinking, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. Left hand grab, right hand shake, don't trip. And I get down to the stairs and I remember, what do we do now? What now? Where do I go? Do I go sit back down or can I just leave? (laughs) What are they going to do? Take it away? And I was so afraid that they would. What now? That's the question. Um, High school seniors, adults, anybody going through anything. I can with 100% confidence and fullness of, uh, fullness of heart tell you, I don't know. I have no idea. It's a cliche, but cliches wind up being truer more times than they're not. But the cliche is, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. God holds the future. And because God is good and because God is faithful, Not only can we look back and be thankful, but we get to look forward and trust. This monument doesn't just serve to be thankful. It reminds the people that they can trust God. So how do we do that? It is so easy. Guys, I wish that I could stand up here and tell you, uh, this is how you trust God, ABC, boom, perfect. This is how I'm great at it. This is how you can be great at it. Guys, this was, it's a hard lesson. It's a hard sermon to write. It's a hard sermon to preach because it is hard to live sometimes. How do we do that? How do we look forward and trust? The first thing is that we, we have to forget our failures. I, I played baseball my whole life. It was, was, probably is the only thing I'm really good at. <laughs> was playing baseball and, and forgetting our failures. Whenever I think of that, it, it reminds me, when you see somebody get a ground ball hit to them and they boot it, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta leave it. If you carry that with you, you're going to boot the next one. Error after error, they pile up, and then you, you start thinking, man, I can't do anything right. But the players that can, that can make a mistake, that can bobble a ground ball, that can blow a layup, that miss a note, and it's just gone. Moving on, next thing, what's in, what's in front is important. Forget your failures. 
Because failures will drag you down. Forget your failures and face your fears. That's number two. Face your fears. Do we think that they would have gone into, the, into a hostile, uncharted land if they were not willing to face their fears? Can you imagine? They have to face their fears to settle the promised land. And the final thing is to follow your faith. And like I said, these apply to high school graduates. Man, these apply to us, to everybody. Forget your failures, face your fears, follow your faith. All of these are seen in Joshua, in this, in this very short section in Joshua. But they're echoed in Hebrews 12 and Philippians 3. But two things that we can do to follow our faith, especially as graduating high school. Graduating high school, you have more freedom than you have ever had. You also have a little more responsibility than you've ever had. Two things that are very important that I had to learn the hard way is make time for a Sabbath. If you do not make time for a Sabbath, you will grind yourself into the ground. Make time for a Sabbath. Find rest. Spend time with the Lord. Have time of no productivity. Have a Sabbath. And then get involved with the local body of believers. Getting involved with the local body of believers, it can, it can look like a bunch of different things. It can look going to church, finding a small group, being in a prayer group, being part of a college ministry. Um, there's a weird rumor going around that there's a young adult ministry that started here. I, I, from all I've heard, it's pretty stinking awesome. I've heard great things about it, and I'm super excited about that. So if, if you're not going off to college and you're thinking, there's nothing for me, eh, there is a place for you. Get involved with the local body of believers. And like I've said, this isn't just a message for high school seniors. This is a message for all of us. So I ask you, where are you today? Where do you find yourself today? Maybe you've just crossed the banks. Maybe it is clear skies, bright sun. Maybe you're saying things like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got through that. I never thought I was getting through that. I don't know how, but I made it. I, we have been hoping for this for so long. Maybe you've just crossed the banks and maybe you need to stack some stones. Maybe you need to take time and just thank God for what he's done. Because shame on me for how quickly I forget how good God is. Shame on me for how bad I am at this. If it's out of my sight, it is out of my mind. So many times, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we go. I don't know. And then bang, God is good and God is faithful. And that's where that story ends for me. I never take time. I, don't, I can't muster up a thanks, let alone take time to stack stones. Let alone take real time to express some real thanks. Shame on me. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're standing on the banks, feeling abandoned. You're looking into an uncharted future where you've got no plan. You don't know enough to have a plan. Your future could be retirement. It could be empty nesting. It could be a new job, new school. It could also be new bills, a sickness, a hardship, or heartache. Maybe you don't even know what you're looking at. But we can all look forward and trust God. Isn't that great that we can all look forward 
and trust God. And like I said, this is a hard, this is a hard sermon to, to write. This is a hard one to preach. Because that's a hard lesson for me. Because of how convicting it is. Um, when, I started, when I started working here, I had um, what I'm going to affectionately call an okay truck. And that is being very generous. I had a Nissan Frontier. It leaked oil, but it was okay because it also leaked coolant. But it was okay because the exhaust system was also messed up. But the best part about that was that um, the air conditioning, because of all those things, it would overheat. So I can't use the air conditioning unless I'm moving at least 45 miles an hour or it will overheat. So high school seniors, people who don't drive and people who just started driving. This is actual real life wisdom that you can learn, maybe. What do you do when your car overheats? No, you don't do that. You turn your air off, you turn your heat all the way up, you blast your heat because the heat pulls from the engine and it'll, it'll cool it, not much, but it'll cool it down and it might buy you some extra time. So, I would sit in traffic and I would have to, and I started, we, we started last, uh, we started about July. And if you know anything about July in Georgia, it's balmy. Is that the right word? It's stupid hot. So I would drive and every time I stopped, my car would overheat. Not only can I not have air conditioning, I'd have to turn the heat on full blast for all the vents wide open on four, full blast heat. The next coolest thing about this truck is the windows didn't always roll down. Right? We've unloaded this truck, and every time, it's funny, somebody, we, full disclosure, I t we told them everything about this truck, and it was like, are you sure you want to go? Okay. We told them everything about this truck. I still see it driving by, and every time I do, I say a little prayer. Lord, be with them. Keep them cool. Keep them cool. Keep them moving down out of traffic. But that truck, before we sold it, I, I, it was problem after problem. And it was, it was another great combination of cheap parts and expensive fixes. Nothing lasted. If I could get more than a couple weeks without having to do something serious, it was a miracle. And so I, I, was, at, I was where I worked. And I was—I needed to go somewhere. I wanted to go somewhere. I think I forget exactly where I was trying to go. Uh, I didn't make it because I went to uh, crank this truck up, and I was going, and what I can only describe as the most god-awful noise came from the bottom of the truck. And you know, when cars make noises at the bottom, it's always super cheap. So this thing just—and it was—it was awful. It was—it was awful, and there were people around. It was a embarrassing. And for the umpteenth time, this truck had left me stranded. Uh, emotionally, I was beaten down because like I said, this is problem after problem after problem. I had a half gallon of coolant and a quart of oil with me at all times. I'm topping this thing off every week or so. I have to keep these with me just to make it a little bit down the road. I was beaten down emotionally because in my mind, I'm thinking, how can I provide for us if I can't even provide for me? How can I take care of us if I can't take care of me? Literally, 
I was stranded physically, sitting there with places to go and no way to get there. And man, did it feel the same way spiritually. Because this was a problem. And I knew, we knew that this was a problem. And we knew that we had to do something about it. And we kept putting band-aids because we kept, we kept, God, please, God, we need this. We thought we had something lined up and it fell through the, it fell through out of nowhere. And it broke, oh man, it, it tore me up. I felt like I was stranded spiritually. And in that parking lot, that hot parking lot, with a broken down truck, I remember thinking, and I know that I said it out loud, God, I know that you're good. This doesn't feel good. God, I know that you are good, but this stinks. And through tears and snot and crying and yelling and beating the steering wheel and everything else, it was in that moment and I knew that God did not bring me to this parking lot to leave me there. My, I, I, my story doesn't end in that parking lot. Thank God my story did not end in that truck. God didn't bring me to that parking lot to leave me because God hasn't left me anywhere else. He has brought me through thing after thing, time after time, and he has never missed once. He didn't bring the people, he didn't bring the Israelites to the water's edge twice and leave them there. And, and one of my favorite songs that we get, that we get to sing is, uh, is the song that he won't, he won't fail. Because when we play that song, I, I imagine the disciples Saturday staring at a sealed tomb asking, why did you leave us here? Why are you leaving us? And then a small voice. He hasn't. And he won't. Praise God he doesn't leave us. And the truth of my life, and it might be a truth of yours, is sometimes, oftentimes, it is easier to look back after, or to look forward after I look back. Sometimes it's a lot easier to know that God will get me through when I think about what God has got me through. Because God is faithful and because God is good, when I look back, I thank God. I thank God for everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between. When I look back, I thank God. And when I look forward, I trust God. He hasn't left me and I trust that he never will. And that's the same for us. He's never left. So wherever you are, I, I want to pray for you today. Maybe it's time, maybe you take this time to look back and, and stack some stones. Just truly thank God. Think about what he's brought you through this past year, this past five years, this past day. Think about what God has brought you through. And maybe, maybe you're, staring, you're staring at the Jordan. You're staring at your Jordan and you don't see any way to get past it. You don't know where to go, where to turn, what to do. Take this time and just put your trust in him. Lord, I don't know, I don't know where this is leading, God, but I want to follow. So I'm going to pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you for today, God. Thank you for 
for all that you are, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you that you don't leave us stranded. God, thank you that you have a plan, God, and that you have perfect timing. God, help us to trust in that today. Lord, be with, be with those who are having a hard time trusting, Lord, who all they see are obstacles, God. Be with them. Help their faith, God. And Lord, we just want to thank you again for all that you've done, Lord, all that you've brought us to, God, and all that you have brought us through, Lord. Help us to have greater faith in you as we leave here. Thank you for bringing us together, God. Bless our day. In Jesus' name, amen.